You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Dear Jesus, God, thank you for the reminder, God, that no matter what happens to us, God, if, we're, if we belong to you, God, nothing can snatch us out of your hands. God, the enemy works so hard sometimes, Lord, in our thoughts, Indeed, sometimes, God, and he reminds us, and he tries to remind us, God, that, God, that we don't have an inheritance. But, God, you remind us, God, that we're your sons and daughters. You chastise those who you love. God, the thoughts that we have are not accurate because we are yours no matter what if we've trusted in Jesus. God, my prayer, God, is that we remember that, God, all the days of our life. Even me, Lord, help me to remember, God, that no matter what, God, the enemy can't still, can't take away from what you've already given, what you've already taken, Lord. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as we talk about today's subject and message, Lord, my prayer would be, God, that you would work, God, number one, through me, number two, through the hearts and minds of the people in the congregation, and God, I pray, God, that this be done not not for me, not for anyone else, but to your glory. In Jesus, amen. Amen. If you would remain standing, and I want, if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew. How many of you guys enjoyed your Thanksgiving holiday? Amen. All right, now, here, here comes the honesty part. How many of you guys ate too much? Come on. Okay, thank you for being honest. Thank you. I, I, I actually did good, just in case you're wondering, because I know that's what you're all thinking. Yeah, I did good. And then my wife comes back, ask her, hopefully, what I think is good is what she thinks is good. Um, but um, everyone there, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9. I'm sorry, I hope I didn't give anybody a a different verse. I'm sorry if you're more flipping. Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35. And we're only going to read three verses. And when you have it, say amen. 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 And here's what it says, starting at verse 35. It says in Matthew chapter 9, And Jesus was going through all of the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed, keep that in mind, because they were distressed and dispirited like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Amen. Let's pray one more time. Lord, may you add a blessing to those who have, um, who hear, who read, who do, I mean, um, read and hear and also ultimately do your word. God, speak through me as your servant as we talk, as we tackle this tough subject. In Jesus, amen. Amen. You may be seated. And the title of today's message is called In the Vulnerable Place. In the Vulnerable Place. Um, earlier, I asked you guys about your Thanksgiving now, I'm a, many of you guys probably went to travel to go see various relatives, or maybe you had relatives come to your house, and, or family or friends. You maybe invited some associates of yours to your house to be able to partake of Thanksgiving, and all those things are, are really good and well. Um, but as, you, as we look across our tables, there are times where we look across the table, we look, or we're sitting in the living room watching football, or we're interacting with people who we know, But then there's a different element that we may not know about them. You see, 
During the holidays, we see an increased number of people who struggle with, with um, essentially different vulnerabilities. Um, you know, for some of us, for some of us, we, we, may, we struggle in these, all these different ways. In fact, as you look across the table, here's some of the people you just may end up seeing. Although there's a person who's fixed your meal, that same person may be someone who has worked tirelessly to make, to be a perfect host, to have the perfect setting so that you can have the perfect meal. And what you may not know about them is that they're praying and hoping and, and with all the fear in their heart that something doesn't go wrong because it'll bring them into a breakdown. You may be sitting across the table or at the couch beside someone who laughs and jokes and has fun with you, and you know that when you see this cousin or this friend or this family member, you're going to have fun with them. But yet, maybe what you don't know is that when this person goes home, they struggle with depression. They find themselves in a place where they're constantly trying to tell other people that they're fine, and on the, out, and on the outer parts of them, they seem to be. But when they go home, they're a different person. They have different thoughts, and those thoughts can be, can be even fatal. There may even be somebody who, at your table who is very anxious. They're here meeting with a lot of people, and the reality of it is people drain them. They're anxious. They're worried about what people think about them, whatever interaction will cause or not cause, or what will happen if they say the wrong thing at the wrong time. They're in a place where by the time they leave the meal and they go home, they wrap themselves in a cocoon because they've had too much peopling. I like to call it peopling. You may even be sitting around someone who's lost a loved one. Maybe it's their first holiday. Maybe it's one of many holidays where a loved one is not there and the memories of having this warm time with your family brings out a certain amount of, a certain amount of um, sorrow, maybe even grief. And there are others. You see, even a theologian like Charles Spurgeon suffered from depression to the point where he was almost suicidal. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, guys, is because in this particular time of year, people find themselves in a very, very vulnerable place. You see, we as a church, and not just, and when I say this is a church, I mean the universal body of believers, we sit around these people. These people are sitting in our pews. They're struggling. They have these thoughts. They have all these different things that they're going through, and they need help. Now, usually when we say that, we always think to the very extreme, but what I'm talking about is the person who moves and functions from day to day, but still struggles, on, struggles internally to keep things together. You see, as a church, we need to find a way to step up, step forward, and we need to be the type of people that, like we in the past, when there is a need, that we need to be able to step up and be able to meet those needs and actively help those who have vulnerabilities. But taking this step, but to take this step, we have to understand that there's a certain, we have to have certain type of attitude. You see, because we're not able to address people's needs when it comes to, when it comes to internal struggle unless we have the right attitude. And so with this in mind, I want to do a little bit of a topical sermon today called, once again, In a Vulnerable Place. 
You see, as you look at, as you look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through um, 38, you see that Jesus, Jesus is going around, he's healing people, he's doing his best to try to meet all the needs, but Jesus finds himself in a place where he is busy. Town after town, he's finding himself ending up healing and preaching the gospel. But then he's, he gets to a point where in verse 38, he looks, I mean, in verse 35 through 38, he looks up, he sees people, and he has compassion because he realized that the needs that he is trying to meet are far greater than, all the, than anyone else could ever handle. Now, of course, he's Jesus. He could do it, right? But he looks and he sees that there's so many people who are hurting, so many people who need to be healed, and he has compassion upon them. And so if we're going to be people who help other people address their vulnerabilities in life, we number one have the right, we have to have the right attitude by understanding, first of all, that Jesus loves us even with our vulnerabilities. Jesus loves us even with our vulnerabilities. You see, Jesus is proclaiming the gospel and meeting their needs. But then it says that he has compassion upon them. In verse 36, it makes it clear that it says, After he saw the people, he felt compassion for them because they were, number one, distressed, and number two, dispirited. If you look at the word distressed, it's the idea that this, a person is troubled. It's the idea that this person has troubled them, themselves. Like they've put themselves in such a position that now they're struggling to get, to get things right. And the idea of being in despair is that the best picture I can give you of somebody being in despair, imagine, imagine being a person who's running a race and you keep running and you keep running and you keep running and you keep running until your body collapses down on the ground because you can't do it anymore. Jesus sees people. He has compassion because he sees that people are troubled. He sees that people are tired. He sees that people are beat down, and he wants to help them all. He sees them in his plight, and he answers, and his, and his answer for compassion happens in two ways. Number one, he has compassion on them in an emotional way. You see, when Jesus, see him, when he, when Jesus sees this need, he says to himself, he in effect says to himself, I want to take their pain away. Jesus is, the, is a, Jesus is a savior who sees you in your vulnerability, who sees you in your struggle, and he doesn't want you to stay there. But now here's the thing, for, for those of you who may not struggle in a very internal way, let me help you understand, internal struggle is difficult. It's very, very difficult. Because here's the thing, there are a lot of times where we as people read the word of God, we know the word of God, we want to apply it, but the problem is there's something within us that keeps telling us that it's not true. We shouldn't provide. No, 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 you're, you're not worth it. You're not worthy. You're not valuable. You're not this. You're not that. And yet God wants, God, even in the midst of that vulnerability, still wants to take you, use you, and, um, and prop you up for his glory so that you can help other people overcome. Amen? You see, you see, when Jesus had this compassion, it was emotional. He wished that he could take all their pain away. But then it didn't just stay at an emotional level. It moved to an action level. He said, let me work to take away the pain as much as possible. 
Henceforth, that's why when Jesus was walking around to the cities, he not only preached the gospel, but he healed people. As a body of believers, we should not only feel concern for the people who have internal struggles. We should, be, we should be led to help as much as possible. Now, here's the thing. Maybe we're not professionals, okay? There are people who have certain ideas. But listen, sometimes our internal struggle can be helped with the encouragement of another believer. Sometimes our struggle can be helped with being reminded of the promises of God. Sometimes the struggle we have means that we physically go beside someone and help them carry the burden that they have. You know, in Galatians chapter, in Galatians chapter 6, it makes mention of this. It tells us that, listen, we need to bear one another's burdens. We need to bear one another's burdens. Now, listen, when you look at that in the Greek form, what it's saying is this. In that first part where it talks about carrying one another's burdens, it's the idea that you have access baggage. There is something that you can't handle by yourself. And so you need somebody to help you carry the luggage or take away some of the, the baggage so that you're able to function better. Many of us are under loads of stress from pressure from work, from home, from trying to do daily duties, from being a godly person, what all these different things are crashing in on it. And sometimes we need to understand what burdens, how, do, how we should really carry our burdens. But now make no mistake about it as well, that the Bible also tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 5, that we should also carry our own load. We need to do it responsibly where there are certain things that are your responsibility. It's the idea of me carrying my own backpack being concerned about my own responsibilities, but then also being a, being a loving believer means coming alongside someone else and helping them carry their load because it's too much to carry for themselves. Is everyone following me? And so we need to be the type of people that work to encourage, to come alongside, to give the encouraging word, to give the phone call, to come alongside and help with the work when we can in such a way that becomes a blessing to other people so that they're able to overcome their internal struggle. Um, as, I was doing some, as I was doing some research for this, I came across the story of a woman by the name of Michelle Williams. Um, you may have heard of, the, of this um, Grammy, Awards, uh, a Grammy Award R&B group called Destiny's Child. Um, Michelle was one of, the, one of the three or four singers that were a part of this group. But in the latter years, Michelle has struggled with depression and I want you to get the picture because Michelle has won Grammys. She's made millions of dollars. In fact, by the time she actually told people about her depression, she had just signed a new, a new, um, a new deal to go on tour and make, more, and make millions of more dollars. Well, the thing is, as she got to this point where she couldn't take it anymore, she pulled aside her, her, her manager and she told her manager, listen, I'm depressed and I can't take this anymore. And listen, my, my prayer is that your response will be not be the response of what her manager responded. Her manager told her, you just made millions of dollars and you're about to go on tour. What are you depressed about? You see, a lot of times we assume because a person's external, looks, external veneer looks fine that deep inside they're not having problems. There are many people who go throughout the day, 
doing work after work and encouraging others and building up and doing work and, and, being a, and being a blessing to the body of believers, but then they go home and they crash. They wonder about themselves. They find themselves in a place where they're so vulnerable, they don't know what to do. And so we have to be the type of people as believers who won't go beside them. They encourage, they build up so that they're able to go on as best possible. We usually think about this in the field of um, somebody being institutionalized and things like that, but that's not what I'm referring to. I think I'm referring to something that I think we all can relate to. Our lives are built on pressure. There's a pressure to perform. There's a pressure to meet a certain expectation. There's a pressure from, from different people, even family members, to do certain things. And sometimes we have to keep in perspective about what's important and what's not. But to do that, we have to be in the right frame of mind, understanding that even despite the fact that we struggle, Jesus loves us nonetheless, amen? Not only that, I want you to turn to Romans chapter seven. We're gonna do some flipping today because it's a topical sermon. Romans chapter seven. You see, if we're going to be able to respond to help other people, we got to have the right frame of mind to be able to do the right action. And number one, we first have to understand that Jesus, Jesus loves all of us despite our vulnerabilities. But number two, we are all susceptible to vulnerability. All of us are susceptible to vulnerability. You know, Paul spends a time in Romans 6 and we're not going to read Romans 6, but he spent time in Romans 6 talking about what it means to, to, to basically willfully sin against God. But then he moves on to, to chapter 7, and then he begins to describe this struggle, this war between himself and what he wants to do. And I'm going to read just verse 15. He says this. He says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I am not practicing, I would like to do. But what I am doing, the very thing I hate. You see, when it comes to people who have vulnerabilities, it's easy for us to, to, to ignore what we don't understand. What scares us, what we have hope will, will never be true about ourselves. But the reality of it is this. It's not, it's not up to us to decide. I mean, we may find ourselves in this vulnerable place as well. You see, vulnerability may, may alter the course of a person's life and manage, I mean, and it may, um, and manage, it may coming to with limitation, but it doesn't mean that a person's life is no good. You see, in fact, we got to be sure that God has always has plans and a purpose for everyone. I'm sorry, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Forgive me, y'all. Forgive me. Romans 7, I'm back, I'm back now. Here we go. Paul mentions this. He says, First of all, he makes this idea that, listen, I cannot do the good I want to do. But then he says, and there's also this evil that pulls me to do what I don't want to do. You see, we all become susceptible. No one is immune from suffering. And we have to put ourselves in a place where we're able to look at other people's perspective. But to do that, we have to recognize that we're all susceptible. You see, a person who struggles with anxiety or depressive thoughts may have the desire to overcome what ails them, 
but they may naturally give in to the temptation to succumb to said thoughts. Let me, be, let me be a little bit more deeper with that or repeat that in such a way that it's clear. Many of us have anxieties, and we know that this is a problem. We know that we've struggled with this depression and that it has, an, and that it has a hole in our lives. But even when Paul looks at it, he says, man, I am in bondage or slave to sin. It's this idea that, listen, I want to do the right thing, but man, there is something in me that just keeps me from doing the right thing. You see, it'd be easy if us overcoming our vulnerabilities was simply um, was, was simply that we just simply change. In fact, I'm, rem- I'm reminded of a clip from a, from, one of the, from a Saturday Night Comedy skit where there is a psychiatrist and then there's a patient sitting across from him. And so the patient begins to talk to the psychiatrist and he says, man, I'm just having problems trying to keep myself from doing the wrong thing. And so then the psychiatrist crosses his legs and he says, you know what? I, I understand what you're saying. I-, I think I understand what you're doing. And listen, here is the remedy for that. Stop it! Just stop it. Don't do it anymore. And so the patient looks at him and he says, okay, well, but I also have this issue with this other thing that I just can't seem to get a hold on. And so then the doctor writes something down and he said, okay, okay, let me, all right, well, you know what? That requires a prescription and it is, stop it. Just stop doing it, right? But we know that that, that that's not how easy it is, right? Because we're worn within ourselves, right? I mean, listen, here's the reality. For those of us who deal with anxiety, every conversation is a landmine. We're not sure if we said the right thing, the wrong thing, the in-between thing, right? It's, when we have anxieties, we don't, know what, we don't know which way we're going, right? And the, reality of, and the reality of it is, is that, yeah, we want to do better. And here's the thing. The world would tell you, hey, if you know better, you do better. But here's the reality. That doesn't stop us from having those thoughts, now does it? The world may also tell us, listen, you need to pull yourself up. You need to, you need to just will yourself and get there, right? Here's the problem. You're a, you're a finite being who's flawed trying to meet the standard of a perfect, righteous God. You can't do it by yourself. Knowledge is power, but it won't change you unless you do more, right? Your self-determination, that's good, but you need more, right? But now here's the other thing that trips us us too. And I think this is the problem that happens with new believers. We think that if we become new believers, the problems just go away. Yeah, I was down the street doing all this, but I got saved now, so all of that is no longer an issue. Rude awakening. If you believe that, let me tell you, you're going you're to have a rude awakening because the very things that God was trying to keep you from when you were in the world are the very things that have consequences even when you become a believer. Amen? We cannot run from our consequences. And so it takes more than us. It takes God's Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, change our minds, help us see that the very thing that we desire is not right. Knowledge is good. Self-determination is good. Even just being a Christian is a good thing, but you need the Holy Spirit to work and change your heart. 
You need Jesus to work within you to, to give you that desire that says, hey, I don't want to do that anymore. It won't happen overnight. It won't change just because your desire change doesn't mean your consequences change. That's one of the things I've had to deal with a lot of in my life. I assumed when I first came to Jesus that, hey, everything is good because now I believe in Jesus. And the very same struggles I had before I met him were the same struggles I had after knowing him. But what changes me over time? Jesus, his Holy Spirit. You know, I often find it very ironic that God would choose an introvert from the backside of a country town who thought he would never ever even get up in front of a crowd to be a pastor preacher. It just dumbfounds me. Like, if you guys knew me in elementary school and middle school and high school, you'd be like, there is no way that guy. <laughs> me, most likely to be quiet for the rest of his life, <laughs> most likely to be a nerd, most likely to be anything else, but not to stand in front of a bunch of people and talk, right? But yet God has instilled me with a boldness so that I'm able to get up, proclaim his word, and not back down, amen? You see, but that's the thing. We have to recognize that, hey, despite our vulnerability, I mean, despite everything else, we're all susceptible. None of us is in a place where we're off better than the other because it can happen to you too. It can happen to you too. Some of us have weaknesses in certain areas, but that doesn't necessarily mean that things can't happen to you. Now, what do we do with that? The fact that we realize that we're not susceptible, I mean, that we're susceptible to sin and to, and to vulnerability. You see, we have to acknowledge our vulnerabilities so that we can help others move forward. You see, if we acknowledge that we're not perfect, we begin to be understanding of other, those other people who aren't not perfect, right? It's easy, you see, it's easy for a person who doesn't have an issue to look at somebody and say, I don't, they just need to get it together. I don't know why they won't get it together, right? But when you realize what your flaws are and you recognize the God that was gracious to you wants you to be gracious to others, it changes your mindset. And so when it comes to somebody with a vulnerability, we have to remember, to remember that we're all susceptible, but as we interact with those people, we need to be as gracious as possible because we all have a struggle. It may be different, but you need to be gracious towards them because you want God to show grace towards you, amen? And lastly, and this is where I was going before I got way off track, turn to Psalm 139. Is everybody still with me? Amen. Psalm 139. Now, in this psalm, in 139, tell me, and if you have it, if you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. Um, in 139, if you read the entirety of Psalm 139, two things stick out. Number one, the omnipresence, the omni, the omnipresence of God. Simply put, God is everywhere. All right. Simply put, God, look, look, listen, you can't run from God. If you try, if you go to the highest depth, he's like, hey, how you doing? If you go to the deepest parts of the sea, he's like, what are you doing down here, right? If you go between, he's like, oh, this is where you should be anyway. I don't know why you went there, right? But Jesus is omnipresent. He's also omniscient, which means that he has all knowledge. He has all knowledge. 
But the reason why I'm bringing this up is more importantly because of verse 16. Let's read it together. Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, Your eyes have seen my my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there there was not one of them. You see, when God created us, when God created us, God was completely aware of all of our circumstances. It says that he knew about the days in this book before you were here. You see, God knows the struggles that you were going to go through. Our response as believers is helping to understand that, listen, not only did God know what we were going to be like, how we're going to be made, what we're going to experience, but it, it happened because God has planned a purpose for all of you. God has planned a purpose for all of you. Notice that it says in, in 16, it says, and in your book were all written, all the days were ordained for me. All right? That carries the idea that God has a purpose for your being despite your vulnerability. Despite your vulnerability. So you may look at yourself and you say, Reggie, I'm not a good speaker. But you know what? God still desires to use you. Can I give you an example of the best way I've seen that happen in the last week? Mandel. You see, I've had the pleasure of knowing Mandel for, man, how long have we known each other, man? Good Lord. Okay. Um, We'll come back to that. But I remember sitting in that classroom in my old office back there, and I would tell you about how one day you would grow into the type of person that where you would be able to share your faith boldly, that you would be able to lead people, even though you don't even think that's possible, right? Now, the best outworking I saw was that was Thursday. See, you didn't see it. Now, God saw it, and God, to some degree, gave me a glimpse, right? But I think he gave me a glimpse because I've seen it in my own life, right? But that was the point. The point was God has a purpose for your life. He knew what you were going to be like. He knew your struggles, and yet he used all of that to speak to a bunch of people in that fellowship hall on Thursday, didn't he? There's something about your testimony, and it may have been individual parts, right? Grew up, listen, you grew up with just your mama. That hit somebody in the room, right? You sold drugs and you had to get out the game. That hit somebody, right? Love to fight. I'm sure that hit somebody. I hope nobody else goes out and fight, though, <laughs> right? But your life, God knew what your life was going to consist of, And he designed and formed you in such a way so that you could fulfill your unique purpose. And the same is true for all of you. He forever told me that, oh, man, I ain't going to never. Like, I remember when he told me, hey, man, Reg, I ain't going to never be teaching. He started teaching Celebrate Recovery. Man, I ain't going to never be out here speaking in front of people. Brother Jeff would get him up here to pray. (laughs) Man, I ain't going to never speak in front of a long crowd. There were about 100 people down there he had to talk to, Right. And he kind of got on a little roll there. Like, if you notice, he kind of got on a little bit of a roll. He didn't think he knew that. But, he st- listen, he went, it went from almost, it, it almost became a, um, a preaching hacking sermon. Like, uh-huh, and God said, and 
but he kind of held off at the very end. But that's the point. God looks at you. He says, listen, you, th- you know your flaw. It's okay. I will still use you for my glory. And here's the thing. All of you are valuable to God. That's one of the points of, of Psalm 139, 16. All of us are valuable. That's my third point. Despite our vulnerabilities, we're all valuable to God. There is nobody in here who has nothing to contribute to the kingdom of God. It's going to take time. It's going to take some effort, some development. But listen, the Lord has a unique purpose that I can't fulfill for you. Brother Jeff can't. Miss Sheila can't. Only you can do it. And if you don't do it, can you imagine getting to heaven somehow and not fulfilling your purpose? Can you imagine getting there to some degree somehow and you, and you say, yeah, I did this. I fed hungry kids. I did all this. Well, but I wanted you to go and reach this people group. Or I wanted you to be this type of person. And well, yeah, you did speak to some people, but honestly, I was trying to line things up where you could do more, but you rejected it. God is saying, listen, don't look at your vulnerability as just some type of chain that's chained to you. Look at the idea that it's a chance for God to take something like you and make it beautiful. You know, our God is in the, is in the business of taking things and making them beautiful again. Amen? He's in the business of redeeming people. And so my, my, my prayer for all of you today is this, is that you would see the value, the beauty of your lives, and that God wants to take that. He wants to use it for his glory. And you need to see that for other people who have vulnerabilities, anxieties, depressions, and the like. To leave you one other story, a man by the name of Charles Lieber, who was a, who was a Presbyterian missionary in Germany, had a clinic for disabled children. He had, he had a wealthy businessman come over to visit his facility to see what it was all, I mean, to, see, to tour the facility and see what it was like. And he said to the doctor, this is such a, these are such prosthetic children. What ratio of cures have you obtained? And then the doctor answered, um, out of 100, I've only cured one. And the man answers, one in 100, that's not worth it. The missionary responded, the one would matter if it was your child. The one would matter if it was your child. And so the idea is this, even if our life is designed for us to change one person, it's well worth it because it has eternal value. And so we should put ourselves in a place to recognize that God is trying, is going to use us one day, somehow, some way, to accomplish his will despite the struggles we have. And now for the end, you, let's see, if you will, let's turn to John chapter 13, and then after I read this, we'll stand. Is everybody still with me? John chapter 13, verse 33. If you have it, say amen. Here's what it says. It says, little children. I'm sorry, let me hold on. I hear some pages flipping. John 13, 33. We're going to read 33 through 35. Here's what it says. Little children, I am with you for a little while. This is Jesus talking. And you will seek me. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, and now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I've given to you that you would love one another even as I have loved you, 
so that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, if we're going to be people who have the right frame of action of how to help people who are vulnerable, we have to understand, number one, that Jesus loves us even despite our vulnerabilities. Number two, we have to make sure we understand that um, we have to understand that we're all susceptible to vulnerabilities. And number three, we have to understand that despite our vulnerability, God finds worth in our lives. But the question becomes, how do we accomplish that? How do we respond in the right way to be able to meet the needs of those who are vulnerable? It's very simple. Love. Love. You see, Jesus tells the church that, listen, if you're, if you're a part of me, if you're going to be people who are identified with me, you got to love one another. You have to. He didn't say, if you want to. He didn't say, based on this one condition, he said, you must love one another because that's how they're going to know you from everybody else. You see, G, you see, we need to be the type of people that we love despite all circumstances. You may see people who have vulnerabilities that make them hard to love, yet you love anyway. You may see people who struggle time and time again, and it almost seems as if to some degree they're failing you, yet you love them more. Always remember that no matter the most important thing we could ever do for somebody who's vulnerable, whether they're struggling with depression, anxieties, or anything else on the spectrum, is we must love those people where they are. Because if you were in that situation, you would want the same in return. I'll mention this in closing, and you can stand. There was a young lady by the name of Amy Simpson who wrote a book called Troubled Minds. And in this book, she describes that her mother um, her mother was struggling um, from ha and having a, um, a was struggling from a kind of a psychosis. And one day they were at a dentist's office, and her mother and the mother had a psychotic episode. Now here's the problem: is that the daughter's 15, and she's not used to seeing this happen. She's in the middle of a dentist's office. The the receptionist is looking over the counter. Everybody in the waiting room is looking down at her, but no one's helping. We should be the type of people that when we see people in need, we help. And the first thing that you can do, if you have no other clue what to do with a person who struggles from a vulnerability, is number one, begin to show how much you love them. Let your compassion be not only in your emotions that you feel for that person, but that you spring forward towards action towards that person. Because your love and your action may be one of the few things that keeps them, that keeps them safe, that helps them overcome, no matter how long the battle is. And be encouraged that even though we all have a struggle, God loves us enough to help us overcome our vulnerabilities. But to do that, we have to give up our lives. We have to lay down this idea that, listen, it's about us, it's our thing, we can do it. I can handle myself. I can do it all by myself. God says, no, you can't. And he says, listen, if you give me your burden, if you give it to me, I'll make it light. 
And yeah, it's going to be a struggle. It takes a lot to change. But he promises that, listen, one day, regardless of what happens in this life, in the next life, there's glory to obtain. There's a peace. There's a difference, right? You have a different body, a different mindset, a, a, new, a new heaven, new earth, new everything, right? And so we need to trust in the fact that even though we struggle, we need, our prayer should always be, God, even though I struggle, Lord, please, Lord, please send other people around me to help me, and Lord, always watch over me. But we have to give up our lives to get there. You have to lay down your life and accept that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He is the one who rules over all, who can take our pains away. We cannot do it ourselves. Your self-determination is not enough to get you into heaven. It's not enough for you to obtain salvation, and it won't be enough to help you change. So you have to give it all to him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, God, it's a difficult subject, God. God, we all have our struggles. We all have our vulnerabilities, Lord. But, God, you've promised, God, that if we trust in you, God, if we lay our burdens on you, God, and if we continuously, God, look to you, God, you can change our mindset. But, God, we know that that's not an easy thing. It comes with a struggle sometimes, God, because, God, even in the times where we want to do better, where we want to take a different turn, where we want to try to be different, Lord, we feel like we get pulled back and do something that we don't want to do. But God, we're so thankful, God, that your Holy Spirit reigns in our hearts. We're so thankful, God, that you have died for us. God, we're thankful, God, that you've given us the power to overcome. The strangeness of it, God, is that although, God, we're overcomers, God, we haven't conquered it quite yet, Lord. These bodies, God, they're broken. Our minds troubled. God, we need you. We need you to come. We need you to intervene in our lives, God, and take the pain away. But, Lord, we know that you'll do that in your time with the people and your resources the way you choose to. But, God, help us to be willing bodies, God, giving ourselves, God, loving others, recognizing our vulnerabilities, God, and ultimately giving glory to you for the, you are the one for which we live all of our lives. You see worth in us, and you want us to live to that potential. In Jesus, amen.